weeks, um, I was silent. I, there was no preaching. There was no teaching. I got a break, and today I get a chance to break that silence. But I wanted to start by, first of all, saying thank you to our elders for giving me, myself, and Juan an opportunity to take a longer, extended break to recover. Everywhere that I went, every church that I talked to, when people would ask me what I was doing, what this sabbatical was all about, I would tell them what was offered to me, and they'd be like, wow, good for your church. That's really nice of them. And, and it made me proud to be a part of this church, to have elders who are proactive and think about giving us a rest. I, I also wanted to say thank you to those who uh, preached while I was gone, Luke Talon, one of our own members, and then we brought in Donald Cherry from Oklahoma, uh, Ricky Williams, who preaches at the Shepherd Street Church of Christ in Mount Pleasant, but he's also my neighbor in White Oak. He was the third speaker, and then Aaron Partlow, our youth minister, he's on vacation today, and then one of our shepherds, Leonard Riley, spoke last week. So I, I owe them a thank you for filling in for me while I was gone, and thank you to the congregation as a whole. Everybody was supportive, and nobody called me during that time, so you gave me a true break. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm not going to just talk about my sabbatical experience, but I will work some of that into this lesson today. And just kind of a summary of some of the things that we did. Maybe you get the idea from this picture of my wife and my kids in this waterfall in Colorado. Uh, during, sabbatical, during sabbatical, I got to spend quality time with my family. Uh, early on in sabbatical, we, I shot at snakes and went creek diving deep in the woods of East Texas. And then the next week, I roamed a certain city in the desert in Nevada with my wife. I won't tell you what city that was. And then the week after that, I spent a week by myself um, in the woods of Louisiana on my solo week. And then I got the chance to spend a week with my family in the San Juan Mountains in southwestern Colorado. It was great. We had some struggles. There were some up and downs, but it was fantastic. I'm, I'll say more about some of the themes that emerged during my sabbatical here in just a minute, but let's go back to the text. Jeff read it just a few minutes ago. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. I'm going to read it again. And I think there's some parallels between this blind man that's healed and maybe some of my own experience, maybe some of your experience as well. Let's read it again. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. Earlier this summer, a couple months ago, it was on June 12th, actually, I remember that because it was my wife's birthday. Uh, we were celebrating her birthday, everybody was outside, but it was hot, kids were swimming. I decided I would just jump in the pool for just a few minutes to cool down. I did that, but then about an hour later, all of a sudden, my vision got really cloudy. It was like everything that I was looking at looked like there was this cloudy haze over my eyes, and it was really irritating and kind of scary. So I just kept rubbing my eyes thinking that somehow that may clear up my vision, but that didn't work. So eventually I went inside and I rinsed my, my eyes out with water. I thought that maybe that that would clear it up. That didn't work. Eventually Jessica put some eye drops in my eyes. Uh, that still didn't work. 
I was, at this point was getting a little bit worried. Like, am I ever going to be able to see clearly again? My eyes were sensitive. I had to wear sunglasses in the living room while people made fun of me for that. But I, my eyes were so sensitive. It was a really strange experience. I went to bed that night not being able to see, praying that God would restore my eyesight. I woke up the next morning and I could see clearly. Uh, Jessica did some research. It turns out probably what happened is I had a reaction to the chlorine. Uh, other people have had that too. Sometimes you get in the chlorine, it gets in your eyes, and it can make your vision a little hazy. I, just, I had that for an extended period of time, but it was all restored the next morning. Now, I tell you that because obviously this healing of the blind man in Mark chapter 8 that we just read, but I also tell that because in a way, I think that maybe that experience, spiritually speaking, may describe our relationship with God. Because there are times where we know God loves us, we know God is close, maybe we come to church or we go to a church camp or mission trip or whatever, and we have this experience with God, but not everything's always clear for us. And maybe there's times where we're thinking, where is God? What is God up to? And we just have these times where it's like, yeah, we know God is there, but it's not all real clear. That's what happens with this blind man. So I'll, I'll point out verse 23 and 24 for you. If you still have your text open, it's on the screen as well. Uh, verse 23, these people bring the blind man to Jesus because they trust that Jesus can do something about it. I love verse 23 because Jesus leads him by the hand out of the village. I mean, how often does that maybe describe you and I? We don't really see clearly, and we just have to rely on Jesus to grab us by the hand and lead us to where we need to go. But then Jesus does the stuff where he uses saliva and he puts it on the guy's eyes, which is strange. And then he says, do you see anything? The guy says, yeah, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Basically, he's saying, I can see, but not everything's clear. So right away, I read a text like this, and I'll ask questions of the text. And one of the questions I have is, what was the saliva all about? That was kind of weird. Why did Jesus do that? And why didn't the healing work 100%? Why didn't it work right away? Why did it take a second attempt? Because we know, read through the Gospels, Jesus can heal people just by saying the word. He doesn't have to put saliva on your eyes. Right? He, he doesn't have to give it a double try. Usually he could just do it once. So something strange is going on here. Maybe it's pointing to something deeper. Here's a quick answer as to why I think this healing goes down the way it does. First of all, this specific story of this specific blind man is only in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is a brilliant writer, and I believe he places this story where he does in the Gospel of Mark strategically. Because right after that, the disciples struggle with seeing clearly. In fact, in Mark chapters 8, 9, and 10... Uh, three different times, Jesus predicts his death. He predicts what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer, be rejected. He's going to die on a cross. And all three times, the disciples are confused by that. They don't understand the cross. So in a way, this blind man not being able to see clearly right away is a metaphor for the disciples not seeing clearly the way of the cross. You just read through Mark 8, 9, and 10, and maybe you, you could see that. The blind man represents the disciples, but, but also, as I've already mentioned, maybe his not seeing clearly, I see people, but they look like trees walking around, is like saying, I can see, but not everything's clear. That, that relates to us as well in our walk and our faith sometimes. That related to my sabbatical. 
Okay, now I'm going to come back and talk about the sabbatical for a few minutes. So going into this five weeks off of rest, of silence, of being away from everything, my thought was, I had this high expectation that maybe God would speak to me in some way that everything would just become clear. But it didn't really happen that way. I started to feel more like uh, this blind man who says, I can see, but not everything's clear. That's kind of how I felt during my sabbatical. I know God's there. I know God's working. I know there's a purpose for this, but I'm not sure that everything is completely clear. And one of the things that I liked about uh, the blind man here in, in Mark chapter 8 is what he doesn't say to Jesus. He doesn't say in verse 24, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Well, Jesus, I guess this didn't work. I've heard you're a great healer, but obviously you can only do so much. I'm going to leave. He doesn't say that. Instead, he knows not everything's clear, but it's clearer than it has been, and he's going to stay right there with Jesus, trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing. He doesn't leave. And that's kind of how I felt. Not everything was clear, but I'm going to stay with Jesus and just trust that he knows what he's doing and he'll make things clear for me when he's ready to. So when everything was blurry for me, here's a few spiritual practices or a few spiritual needs that, that I noticed throughout my sabbatical. You know, the elders asked me to keep a journal. I'm not really a journaling kind of guy, but I did it because they challenged me to. So for five weeks, I kept a journal. And about 10 days ago, I looked back through that journal, and it was clear to me there was five things that really stood out that either intentionally or unintentionally these practices that I engaged in or spiritual needs, whatever you want to call them. I want to share them with you, and I'll go through them. You can write them out on your bulletin insert outline if you want to. I mean, I made the thing. You might as well use it, right? And I'm, let me go over it with you. Maybe it'll be a challenge for you, maybe a reminder. Some things may seem obvious, but just follow with me with this. So the first uh, spiritual practice or spiritual need that I noticed during the sabbatical was just the need for daily Bible reading. All right, this is one of those ones where you're thinking, isn't that obvious? Shouldn't we all as Christians be in the Word daily? We, as a church, we've offered you reading plans, gospel reading plans, read through the Bible. Here in a few weeks, I'm going to be preaching through the book of James, and we're going to have a reading plan through that. Yes, we should be reading the Bible. But here's my confession. For 15 years, doing a lot of preaching and teaching, like I said, it's rarely have I gone more than a week without doing that, I get the chance to read the Bible for a living, I guess in a way. Because of that, I've grown, I have learned, I've experienced God through scriptures, I've been convicted time and time again. But here's my confession, through, through time, there's kind of this blurry line where as you read the Bible, you read it to be with God, to hear from God, but you're also reading it to think, how can I teach that? How can I use that little nugget there and use it in a sermon or how could I explain that? And so there's a blend of, of reading to be with God, but also reading to teach and have more teaching material. When you go on five weeks of silence and you're not preaching at all, one of the things I got to experience was a true daily Bible reading of being with God without thinking, how can I teach this some way? It was just an opportunity to experience God through His Word without some kind of other motive behind it. The very first week, I started reading through the book of Ecclesiastes. 
Nobody asked me to do that. I didn't plan on doing that. I just opened up my Bible and I just thought, I'm reading Ecclesiastes. I will confess, as I did to the first service, I was feeling kind of negative and pessimistic that first week as I was recovering. So Ecclesiastes seemed fitting. Like if you're ever down in life, just read Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and it's a very, it gives you a very humble perspective. But then I just started reading through all of Ecclesiastes and I I was captivated by some of the wisdom literature that's in there. I would highlight or underline verses and go in my journal and write them out. Then I went to Song of Songs the second week, and then I went to the book of Proverbs, right after the book of James, and I just spent time reading, mainly in books that you might consider wisdom literature, and James has a lot of wisdom, and I don't know why. It's just something that maybe the Spirit prompted me to do. But I got to experience God through His Word. And I point that out because... When not everything was clear to me as to what I was supposed to be experiencing, what I was supposed to be taking away from it, I was, when the vision was kind of blurry, I was able to stay close to Jesus through being in the Word daily. All right, the second spiritual need or spiritual practice was this, what I would call worry-free quality time. You see this picture on the screen. It's not the most flattering picture of me. I put it up there, though, because this was day two of sabbatical. If you want to know how it felt... By day two, I was asleep on the couch, and it felt great. But I will confess another thing to you, that the way that I had come to view time for most days was, how can I get the most out of the time that I have? As Americans, I think we all can relate to like trying to be productive all the time. And I feel that way, especially when the clock is constantly ticking. Sunday is always coming. We're going to finish today. We'll go rest. You know, we'll go about our week, but my mind thinks I got six days to get the next sermon ready. So I'm thinking, how can I get the most out of time? When I'm with my family, we're sitting around the living room, I may relax with them, but I'm also, I'm going to respond to an email, maybe do a little reading, tweak the sermon a little bit, just try to take advantage of time. Well, I'm reminded, and I was reminded during sabbatical of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 27. As Jesus said... Can any of you, or he asked this question, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No. (laughs) That's right. And I was not adding any hours to my own life. Because even though I wasn't in a constant state of worry, I wasn't relaxed either. Because I was always trying to get the most out of what I could out of time. And then all of a sudden... I'm five weeks, there's no deadline, there's no phone calls, there's no emails. This is unhurried, uninterrupted time where I get to spend worry-free quality time with my family. How's that a spiritual practice? Well, I was able to stay close to Jesus by experiencing Jesus through people that I love. It wasn't always perfect, it wasn't always easy, but it was more quality time than I'm used to. The third practice is what I would call testing the spirits. Uh, I don't see anybody writing anything down because you're not used to the, the bulletin insert anymore. Just, I worked hard on that thing to make sure it was following along. So y'all, y'all follow me here. So test, okay, a few of you, thank you. All right, so testing the spirits. I'm borrowing this from, which by the way, the, the first two points you may think, okay, those are obvious, those are easy. Testing the spirits, that, now we're getting kind of weird. First John chapter 4 and verse 1, John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
Now there's a warning going on in John, and I'm not going to get into an in-depth study of the book of 1 John. But there were false prophets. There were people teaching that Jesus had not come in the flesh. And, and John believed in spiritual warfare in the spiritual world. And what he's saying is test the spirits. Don't just accept it for what it is. Don't just accept what people tell you. But test it to see whether or not it comes from God. So when I'm slowed down, uh, one of the things that I started to notice was some of my own emotions. So I'm kind of paralleling this phrase, test the spirits with emotional regulation or emotional tension. When I'm really busy and I can distract myself with work-related activities, I don't have to pay attention to my emotions. But when everything slows down, I started to notice there's some anger in there. There's some frustration in there. There's some hurt feelings somewhere in there. There is things that have been suppressed within me. Maybe there's times where I feel like I'm a victim in a relationship. You know, and there's just these emotions that I started to experience that, that I didn't really want to, that made me a little bit uncomfortable. And then at some point during sabbatical, you know, Ken, you taught on Jonah this past Wednesday night, but I, I was reminded of Jonah several weeks ago in Jonah chapter 4, in verse 4 and 9. Where God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? He's challenging Jonah to look within himself and saying, do you really have a right to be angry here? You can go back and read the book of Jonah, you'll see it. And I like that because that's a pretty tough challenge. To look within yourself and, and challenge your own emotions or maybe the spirit world in some sense and to say, is this coming from God? Is this emotion that I'm feeling, this thought that I have, is it coming from a Christ-centered place within me, or does that come from the enemy? You have to learn to question these things. That's what God was telling Jonah to do, and I think that's what God was wanting me to do as well. Before I could see clearly, I had to challenge some of the emotions I was experiencing. You see this picture up here on the screen. This was taken right out of the front porch of where we stayed um, in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. We were actually way outside of Pagosa Springs up in the mountains. It was a beautiful place. Somebody opened their home to us, and, and we were able to go out there for a week. Well, the first night we get there, I mean, it's a pretty rough trip. The, the roads are extremely bumpy and dusty. We're you know, way up there. It probably works fine if you have a truck. If you have a minivan, it doesn't handle it real well. So we get there the first night, we have dinner, we relax, we go to bed, but the next day we are ready to go. We pack up the car, kids get in the car, I turn the key over, it won't start. I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere with no cell phone service, and I can't start my car, but the worst part about it is I know nothing about cars. Uh, I'm, I'm not very manly in that sense, I am not a mechanic. But I knew where the thing was to pop the hood. So I did that because I thought at least I would pretend like I'm doing something. So I, I popped the hood and I'm looking and I'm like, I don't know. Everything looks normal to me. This is why we took it in the week before for somebody that's somewhat of a professional to check it over. But the best thing I could figure out is the battery had died somewhere along the way. So if I could find a human being in the middle of nowhere to jumpstart my car, well, then we would go get a new battery. Well, after a couple of hours, we found the guy that was hosting us. He was out working on his ranch, and he was going to come jumpstart the car. But we had the hood popped, and we're looking at it, and he said, you know what? I think I see the problem. The battery's been knocked loose. The ground out there where we were driving around was so rough, it had knocked the battery loose, and it was disconnected. 
So after a little while of trying to work with it, we got it back on the bracket, we got it reconnected, and then the van worked just fine. But it took several hours of having the hood pop, looking underneath the hood to see what was going on. And I thought about that because I think maybe that's what God was inviting me into. Part of it during the sabbatical was to open the hood of my own heart, to stop ignoring some of these things, to look deep down within, and to challenge some of these emotions that I was experiencing. To look within myself and to say, is this coming from a Christ-centered place within me or is this coming from the enemy? So one of the things that I was invited into to stay close to Jesus when everything was a little unclear was to do some self-examination, test the spirits. The fourth thing is what I would call experience some of the humanity of Jesus. The way the sabbatical was split up is the elders asked me to spend a week with my wife, a week with my kids, and a week by myself. Solo week, just to be with God. Going into sabbatical, that solo week was what I was looking forward to the most. I mean, life can be loud. Uh, people can be loud. And the thought of just getting away from everything and being with God sounded fantastic to me until I actually got there. And then it turns out the solo week was the most challenging week. It was the hardest week for me. Speaking of emotions, there was a few emotions that came up that I wasn't expecting. One was there was a sadness about me. I felt sad during part of it. I missed my family. I felt guilty for leaving them. I just wasn't expecting to feel sad. And then I felt lonely. I have to spend a lot of time by myself to work on sermons and get all that ready. So I'm used to spending time by myself. As the older I get... I'm fine with spending time by myself, but going out to this retreat center where I took this picture in Louisiana, a nice little cabin by myself in the woods, I found myself feeling a little bit more lonely than I was expecting. Well, during that same week, I got the opportunity to have a free spiritual direction session with somebody. It was a Zoom session. So I took it. It was free. And I was explaining to this spiritual director how this week had been hard on me. I, you know, I'm not feel like I'm hearing from God. You know, that's not real clear. There's no special revelation. And I felt sad. I felt lonely at times. And she just said, maybe what God is asking you to do is to experience some of the humanity of Jesus. It's tough. Remember, Jesus spent 40 days at the beginning of his ministry out by himself in the wilderness. He was tempted all those 40 days. Yes, he was trying to connect with God, but don't you think being away from everybody for 40 days that maybe he felt sad? And she said, and think about Jesus on the cross. As he died alone on the cross, don't you think he might have felt lonely? Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. So he had this, the same emotions we would have had. And she said, maybe you're just getting a small glimpse of what Jesus would have experienced. And instead of just learning about it or... or or reading it in the Bible, you're getting to experience it. Instead of God giving you some big, special, divine revelation, maybe He's just inviting you to experience some of the pain that Jesus went through. So I was able to stay close to Jesus by connecting with and identifying the life of Christ. And then the fifth spiritual practice or spiritual need that I saw was just the need for Sunday morning worship. Obviously, this picture is right here at Pine Tree. That was taken on Easter Sunday. Jared Altman took that picture. But, you know, when I come to church every Sunday, I'm expected to be here. I preach. You know, there is an expectation that I'm here, and I'm here at both services. But when you're five weeks away and, and there's no expectations, 
All of a sudden, we find ourselves saying, well, where are we going to go to church today? We're traveling. Start researching websites, trying to figure all that out, uh, which was a little bit challenging. I can appreciate being here, knowing where I'm going to be at what time each Sunday. But while we were gone, visiting around at other churches, this is one of the things that I came to look forward to. I know this, this isn't a super popular thought in our culture today that is a skeptic and questions everything that the church does, but I found myself needing it. Like I needed to be with other believers in the same room and to sing with them, to take communion with the wider body of Christ. I look forward to hearing a sermon each week. I look forward to hearing somebody who had spent a lot of time in a text sharing his own perspective and how God may be speaking through him. I needed that. I needed that weekly reminder. It kept me secure and grounded in my faith, and it reminded me that I'm not alone. I have a newfound appreciation for what we do on Sunday mornings. I think God uses this to reclaim us, to remind us of who He's called us to be, to recalibrate us, because the culture around us really starts to disciple us. When we come each Sunday, it's a reminder that we're a part of something much greater. And instead of having the culture's influence on us, we're having the people of God in this time of worship influence. I can tell you, I went to different churches and it wasn't always the most life-changing experience. You can come here every Sunday and it may just be like, well, that was okay. But through that, God is working. And so during this sabbatical, and you know, not everything was real clear to me and it wasn't just like some special revelation or complete 100% clarity. I was more like the, the blind man in Mark chapter 8 that, you know, everything's a little blurry. I can see, but I can't see real clearly well, I think God made it clear to me during that that these five practices, these five needs, help keep me close to Jesus. It's like Him leading me by the hand where I needed to go, even when not everything was really clear. Now, this is not a comprehensive list. This isn't like a formula. Like, if you just do these five things, well, then, you know, eventually everything will be clear. This was just a way that I personally, whether it was intentional or unintentional, was able to stay near Jesus. And maybe God will make things clear for you at some point. Maybe on this side of heaven, we might not see everything clearly or why things happen the way that they do. But one of the things that I, I sensed during all this was Jesus invites us to trust Him and to stay close to Him. So this morning, as we offer this invitation... Maybe God has given you some kind of clear, you know, some kind of clarity, a clear vision of like, this is something you need to change in your life. If that's the case, we'll be here to receive you. If things are really unclear and you need some help working through some of the, the muddy, cloudy vision that you may have, then we're here to help you. If we can help you in any way, we're going to stand back up, we'll sing, come find one of us, we'll be glad to pray with you and talk with you. Let's stand and continue to sing. There's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Let